I love surprises. Uh, if you can open up to uh, Psalm 57. And um, you know, some of us, uh, sometimes we don't bring a Bible or you got it on your phone. It's all good. Uh, but I really encourage you because it's a little bit of a different beginning here. Uh, if you can literally pull out a Bible from the pews, if you, if you feel comfortable with that. Because there's something a little int- somewhat intricate here I wanted to point out. Uh, so we are doing our Heroes of Faith uh, sermon series. I know we kind of ping-pong back and forth, but, you know, look, we're going through the Bible, and we're, 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 we're learning about the major characters and what they have to teach us um, in our relationship to the Lord. And so we're on uh, now uh, King David, or I should say David, and the guy is such a big character that there's no way that we can summarize and get into everything that he's done. Um, especially in one sermon. So we're going to be doing it over a couple of weeks, I believe. We'll see how the Holy Spirit leads. Uh, But David is just such a big character. And I want to begin with Psalm 57. Before you even get to verse 1, we see that above verse 1, there is a description. Um, Not the description that your version of the Bible gave, but an actual description that is in the original writings. So a lot of times above, like, each chapter... Right, for example, my version says, the mercy and truth of God. And then underneath that is the original heading of this psalm found in the actual scrolls that were originally written. And it says here, to the chief musician, Al-Tashit, Miktam of David, David, when he fled from Saul in the cave. This is the psalm that is written by David when he flees Saul and he's hanging out in a cave. So, I want to just begin with titles. And I was actually trying to mull this over. I talked to Kate. We said, you know, what Kate, because she's got a strong English literature kind of background as well as me. But either way, she's really smart. So I went to her and I was like, what's, what's, what's the deal with titles? Like, if I had to summarize, like, a title and the importance of titles in a movie or in a book, how we pare it down? I, I think Kate like you said yeah it's like the most personal aspect of the film or the book it's the heart of what's going on essentially if you have to take a 500 page book or a 2 hour movie and you had to summarize it and give it to the audience what would it be it would be all pared down to this title so what we have here is this is the title that David writes this is the song that I wrote when Saul who so happens to be king and also my father-in-law, is hunting me, and I'm in a cave in the middle of the wilderness. This is the song I wrote. You know, we, we glance over these little aspects of the Bible, like Psalm 57, verse 1. Let's read. No, let's get to the title, man. That's what this is about. The guy sitting in a cave, and his father-in-law is hunting him to murder him. So, I want to ask you guys a, a question. What do we know about King David? Or I should say, what do we know about David? Let's throw some things out. He's the smallest of all of his brothers. Good. Man of passion. Uh, tremendous passion. Both good and also not so good. Or rather, pure evil, really. At a, at a time. Other things we know about. Yeah, the famous of the famous story of David and Goliath. He played musical instruments or instruments. Cool. He 
put one of his best friends in the front row after he was cheating on that guy's wife. Yeah. People don't like to talk about that too much. Actually, uh, I believe it's uh, 1 Samuel doesn't even mention it. First Chronicles and Kings does. Good, yeah, so it's a huge part of uh, David's uh, uh, namesake part, the love of God, right? In Acts chapter 13, also 1 Samuel, it says that, in fact, David was a man after God's own heart. It's the only character, only person in the Bible that gets that kind of reference. This is a man that even when he sins and he does something evil, he has a repentant heart, he comes clean, he lays out before the Lord, and he's, he, he's repentant. Uh, if we go to the next slide, Sharon, this is kind of like the basics of, uh, of David. Like I said, he's a very big character, the biggest character in the Bible. You had to break things down. David uh, is a shepherd boy at a time, right? He's a musician and a worshiper. Uh, he is a warrior, a soldier in Saul's army. And then eventually he's, in fact, going to become a king. So these are the various stages, if you will, of David's life. A lot of times we like to make focus on, well, David, the guy who kills Goliath. Oh, David, this awesome king. Uh, but if you really want to get the full picture of what God is doing in this character's life, you have to go back to the beginning. So today I want to go a little bit back to the beginning, to like what, was, what would it be like uh, as a shepherd boy? Uh, and so if we can go to the next slide. Yeah. Yeah, and uh, actually, Dan, if you can come up. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah, thank you. A very important thing is, uh, right, he is from his seed, not just of the tribe of Judah, but from the line of David. He's the coming of the Messiah. Very good. Thank you. Um, so, let's go back to what it would be like as a shepherd boy. Uh, in order to be a king, to be a worshiper unlike any other, I mean, in, in the records of, of the scripture, outside of Jesus, uh, there's no other person in the Bible that just worships like David does. I mean, he worships so heartfelt that his first wife, Michal, is embarrassed. Like, what are you doing? I can't eat. Like, can you imagine if your spouse worships so crazily that you were embarrassed by it? Like, legitimately embarrassed. Be happy. Okay, well, what if, what if he went down to his, uh, his underwear, right, his tunic, and he was running around, right? That's going to be the full part, right? It's pretty crazy stuff. But in order to be a king, to be a worshiper unlike any other, David first had to learn how to be a young man in a cave. You see, you can't be a king unless you first learn how to be the young man sitting in a cave. Now, what is the cave? The cave is really a symbol. Not he definitely was in a cave, but the cave for us is essentially a symbol of the trials, the tribulations, and dare I say, after last week, the sufferings, the difficulties that we go through. A king is a place of leadership. It's a place of anointing. In order for David to get to that place, he first needed to learn what it was like to be a young boy in the middle of the desert wilderness of Israel by himself with a bunch of sheep sitting 
So the symbol of trials and tribulations is this cave, cave wilderness experience. I want to ask yet another question. Take a moment to just kind of get settled here with like of thinking. All of us, or maybe I should ask yet another question. Who here has actually gone through a trial, a tribulation, a difficulty? Okay. Good. I'm, I'm, I imagine it's going to be all of us, right? Now, think about that time going through a difficulty and ask this question to yourself. You don't have to answer it out loud. It may be embarrassing. What was your response to it? Hey, that's cool. Oracle, but I like that you guys are sometimes praise the, the pastor. The pastor says praise. Good man, that's kind of where we're going, right? Amen. But have there been other times when you're like, you're not praising? Oh yeah, right. So look, when we go through various trials and tribulations, there's various responses that we can have, right? We can respond in anger. We can respond in gossip. We can respond in bitterness. Some of us have even gone to a substance. Drug, sugar. Come on, who here is ever like? Sh- I'm the opposite. When I'm stressed, I don't eat. But then there's other people that are stressed and they do eat. There's like two types of people, right? I- I'm one of the ones like I-, I don't feel like eating when I'm stressed. But anyone here like stressing you go through some stress, you're like, oh, I right? Come on, right? We all do. We all do stuff, right? Uh, but the thing here is, what shall our response be, right? David is going to have obviously a very different response, which is amazing. Now, we know in Acts chapter 13, and you can start playing here. I'm doing this not for emotionalism, not for sensationalism. I really am not. I'm not into that. But I do want to replicate something here. Okay. Okay. Acts chapter 13 says that David was a man after God's own heart. The reality is, David was not born with a heart after God. Like he's not just born this guy who's ready to take on this type of anointing. Like he's born like all of us with difficulties and frailties and concerns and questions. But he goes through situations, very heavy situations, which is going to start to teach him to have the heart of the Father. It happens through a refining process. It happens through life's challenges. David's story is a very, very unique one. If you take a look at that picture, he's a little boy, the youngest of all the brothers. We know that from the story of David and Goliath. You're a shepherd. At a young age, he's out in the hills, away from his family. Can you picture him out there? Staring up at the stars, all by himself. We know other things about David. He wasn't really well liked by his father and his brothers. And the prophet says, well, where are your sons? I want to anoint one of them king. He goes through all the sons and completely forgets that he has a son by the name of David. David. Now some scholars... This may, be, this may be something new for some of us. It was new for me when I first came across it. Some scholars believe, looking at the evidence, particularly Psalm chapter 51, that David 
was in fact an illegitimate child. You start to read the stories, things start to make a little bit more sense. He's the last son. I imagine if you're a husband and your wife has an illegitimate child, you're probably not going to be too much doing too much marital duties after that. Jesse doesn't even refer to him as a son. And in Psalm 51, David cries out, Lord, my mother had me in the midst of iniquity. I was formed in iniquity, Lord. And some scholars think it, it's very possible that David knew, and it's very possible that David was born in quote-unquote sin. I'm not going to make theology about it, but there's enough in the story that this boy does not have a great situation with his family and his big brothers and his dad. And now he's out in the cave, or rather, he's out in the wilderness. So let's just try to get a little poetic here, a little artsy. 3,000 years ago, absolutely no noise pollution. You can see every star. You can see the Milky Way. There's not an aspect of artificial light outside of a fire on planet Earth. You don't have a good relationship with your dad nor your brothers. You're a little boy and you're out there. You look up at the stars and it's like, God, Father, I'm alone. My earthly father doesn't pay attention to me. My brothers don't like me. I'm out here, I got the worst job, I'm away from the family, days, weeks on end, and all I have is a sheep. But this is where I, David, I get to learn to be with you, Father. Lord, I'm so bored out, out here, there's a lion, and there's a bear, and there's wolves, and there's bad people, and I'm scared. This is when David begins to learn how to play the flute and the lyre or the guitar. And he's just, he's forced to sing praises. If you quiet yourself enough and you're able to place yourself back there listening to the stringed instrument, you can begin to hear the Psalms of David being written upon that young boy's heart. Just think about it. As I read portions of Psalm 139. You're 10, 11, 20, 12 years of age. My family doesn't love me. I'm alone. I have no one to talk to. Brings out the flute. Oh Lord, you have searched me and you know me. You know my sitting down and my getting up. You understand all my thoughts from afar. You are behind me and before me and you've laid your hand upon me. Such knowledge is so wonderful, too wonderful for me. I can't even understand it. 
wherever I go, I cannot leave your spirit. I cannot flee your presence. If I ascend up into heaven, you are there. If I make my bed down in the depths of the earth, you are there. If I take the wings of the morning and dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea, even there shall your hand lead me, and that right hand shall hold me. How precious are your thoughts for me, O God. How great is the sum of all of them. If I could count them, they are more in number than the sand. When I awake, when I awake, you are still here. You see, David needed that time as a shepherd to be able to articulate the Psalms. Many of us in the modern era, we want the song, we want the anointing, but we don't want the time in the cave. You can't be a psalmist. You can't be a worshiper. You can't be the leader of a home or a community. You haven't had time, just Lord. I need only you. Thank you, Dan, for the, rep, for the, for the historical repertoire. Amen. Learning what it means, Dan. Writing the Psalms. And he graduates, if you will, from, from a stage of life. And he goes and he, he goes after Goliath. And once again, he's like, I can go after this guy. The Lord protect me from the lion and the bear. I can come after you. You come after me with the armies of the earth. But I come after you with the Lord, God of heaven's armies. He's so great he's, he's, in what he's doing that, that actually King Saul has David marry his daughter, Michal. And eventually, he's even now anointed king. He takes on the anointing by the prophet. All of us are anointed here for God's kingdom. Amen? But now he takes on the anointing, but he's not allowed to be king yet. The Lord is like, you know, we're not done with you, David. You're not quite there yet to be, go into the fulfillment of what I've called you to. You need to learn a little bit more. You need to learn, as we were saying, next slide, please. You need to learn more what it means to have God's heart. Many of us get frustrated because we know we have a calling on our life or we're expecting more out of life. You're like, where is it? Being a missionary in Columbia, being this, being, whatever you're... I have promises on my life, Lord. You've anointed me to do things. How come I have not stepped into it yet? The Lord is like, it's all right. We need a little bit more time to grow in some things. Now, what's really frustrating here is David is anointed king, and now the problems get even worse. I mean, it gets worse. You don't have to turn to it, but once again, go through your Bible and read some of the titles to the Psalms. Psalm 3, his son Absalom goes after him to kill him. So he's out in the wilderness again, and he's writing a song about it. Psalm 56, the Philistines are coming after him. Not only is his son trying to kill him, not only is Saul the king trying to kill him, but also now the Philistines are trying to kill him. 
unbelievable. And in 1 Samuel chapter 23, verse 29, the last slide, what we have here, it says that David arose and went down to the wilderness of En Gedi. Here is the actual place, En Gedi, today. There's a beautiful waterfall there. Many of the Psalms were written there because that's where David liked to go to hang out. He sits by the waterfall, says that first Samuel, who goes down, and it's reason to believe, most people believe, that Psalm 57 is where he's writing this when Saul is trying to kill him. When he flees from Saul in the cave, be merciful unto me, O God, be merciful unto me, for my soul trusts in you. In the shadow of your wings will I make my refuge until these difficulties overpass. I will cry unto God most high, unto the God that performs all things for me. He shall send from heaven and save me from the reproach of him that would swallow me up. Selah. Pause and reflect. God shall send forth his mercy. My soul is among lions, and I lie even among them that are set on fire, even the sons of men whose teeth are spears and arrows for their tongue, a sharp sword. You listen to what he's writing about. It's like very, very like violent stuff. Like, these guys are like lions. They're coming after me. They're going to kill me. All this kind of stuff. I don't get it, Lord. You've anointed me king, and I'm going through all of this. In a very human way, he lays out his frustrations to the Lord. You're allowed to do that. Lord, I'm going through a hard time. And then what he does here is he transitions to the sea of man of God's own. My heart is fixed, O God. Verse 7. My heart is fixed, O God. He says it twice. I will sing and I will give you praise. Awake up, my glory. Awake the songs and the harp. I myself will wake up early and I will praise you, Lord. Among the people, I will sing unto you among the nations. For your mercy is great and the heavens and the truth unto the clouds. Be thou exalted, O God, above the heavens. Let your glory be above all the earth. David chooses for the furnaces of life, the difficulties of life, to be a catapult for him to be able to write songs and to worship God with even more strength and with more passion, with more emotion. He could have just hung out in the cave, ran away to another country, but he's like, no, I'm going to worship my God in the midst of all. Many of us, including myself, when we're going through the thick of things, we don't immediately just jump to, let me praise the Lord through this matter. Difficulties come to us and we start to get down. David, a man of God's own heart, I'm going to use this as an opportunity to worship my God. These trials, these difficulties are essentially the substance of things that allows him to worship with even more power and more might. Straight out of the book of James, right? Glory! When you go through various trials and tribulations, what glory? Yes, because it's a place where you're going to be made even more perfect in the image of the Messiah. So when you're going through it, don't focus on the problems. Focus on the process of what it's doing. Oh, wow, all of this is coming after me? It must mean that the Lord is, re- is making me ready to graduate to the next level. Oh, man, I have all these problems at home and all with, with construction and car problems and finance problems or whatever it's, oh, Lord, you must be getting ready to take me to the next place. Yeah. So you have to position our minds. Right? We have to position our minds. 
Now, I want to clarify this. I want to clarify this because think, people get really messy with this stuff. I am not saying that the Lord is like, Billy, I'm going to give you a bunch of difficulties and make your life difficult. I don't believe theologically that a loving father is like, how can I get them somehow? I don't believe that. There's just too many scriptures that, that are saying no. But we are human beings living on planet Earth, and are there difficulties? Yes. And through those difficulties, we get to learn how to be molded more into the image of the Father. But it's not God saying, oh, let, let me give Dave the flu. Let me give so-and-so cancer. Oh, let me th let them just struggle and find it. No. I don't, I don't believe that. But things happen on earth because we live in a fallen world. And now our response is, how shall I respond to these life circumstances? Shall I believe the word of the Lord? Or shall I go down into the darkness? I will believe the word of the Lord, and I, even in the midst of that, I'm going to worship him. Declare his goodness. Malachi chapter 3, verse 3, just so you have an understanding of what is going on. Malachi, the prophet Malachi, chapter 3, verse 3, and it says, And he, God, shall sit as a refiner and purifier of silver. And he shall purify the sons of Levi and purge them as gold and silver, that they may offer unto the Lord an offering in righteousness. God is saying that he's going to purify and refine. Levi. Levi are the priests. Now we are already purified for the Lord. When we get saved, we become priests. And he purified us. But there is a refining process that does take place. We've sang songs about him in the 90s. Refiner's fire. You know, remember that song, right? Beautiful song. Like there, there's stuff that right comes out as we walk in this life. First uh, Corinthians chapter three, just to get a New Testament example of this. What are Josh's favorite verse? I think fire. Uh, well, that's second. And uh, Mary, if you can come on down, please. We're gonna be closing up soon. I preach better with you. First Corinthians chapter three, uh, verse thirteen. Every man's work shall be made manifest, for the day shall declare it, because it shall be revealed by fire. And the fire shall try every man's work of what sort it is. We go through experiences which are refining processes. Refiner's fire burns up all the impurities. We go through these experiences that come about. We, we go through them, and what's left remaining should be a born-again, spirit-filled believer's life should be more of the things of the world. There's an old saying, like, when you squeeze a lemon, you make lemonade. It's, it's kind of like a cheesy, cheesy cliche. When you squeeze a Christian, you should just get more Christ. Got anyone ever hear this before? No? Not when you squeeze a lemon. When the pressure comes upon a lemon, it produces lemonade. When the pressure comes upon a Christian, you should just be getting more Christ coming out. 
Now, it's a cliche, but it's so true. When the pressures of life, that vice grip of life, starts to come in, it should be an opportunity for more of the presence of the Lord being revealed on earth. See, that is David. He could have complained. He had multiple opportunities to kill Saul and to kill his son. He's like, no. When life starts to come around me and squeeze me when I'm in a cave in the, in the valley of Angedi, what you're going to get are the most beautiful worship songs that have ever been written. That's what you get when you squeeze David. And the only reason why you get that is because he was alone as a shepherd in the wilderness, going up to the Lord and saying, I have nothing but you. That's all I got. So when he goes before Goliath, when he goes before Saul, and the squeezing of life comes, all you get is more of the anointing. The only way you're going to get that is if you open not your lips in gossip, you open not your lips in complaining to people. You can go to God and be like, God, I don't understand what's going on. It's really hard. That's one thing. Praise shall ever be on my lips. How does a man write that? Not the modern day worship song, like the song. Your praise shall ever be on my lips. It's a man, a young boy who goes through life's What shall our response be to those experiences? Jesus. Hallelujah. A little bit more of a simple message today, but I, I just, I feel the anointing on it. I feel it's very timely. I feel like I know in my life I've been going through a little thing. So, all right, Dave, what kind of response? Response of fear or response of praise? Because what's the power in it? He inhabits the praises of his people. You're going through a difficult time, you start praising the Lord, he comes into the situation. If the enemy is coming up against you, the one thing that the enemy hates more than anything else is the exaltation of the name of Jesus. So Satan, you're coming to me, you're bringing difficulty to me, all right, I'm going to fight you, I'm going to worship the Lord. Eventually, Satan keeps coming back to you, and every time he comes to you with a problem, you worship Jesus, Satan's like, this is really bad. Every time I go to this guy and, I, and, and problems are happening, he keeps praising the Jesus who I don't like and he can't stand it and he's got to go. And so when you start feeling the, the pulls of addiction, the pulls of temptation, the pulls of depression, and you say, you know what, in the valley I'm just going to worship the Lord, eventually Satan's like, All right. Satan cannot stand the exaltation of the name and of the blood of Jesus. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pasture. He leadeth me beside the still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in the paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I shall fear no evil. For your rod and your staff shall comfort me. Why is that song? so popular. Everyone knows it. It's said at funerals. It's said in churches. It's said on TV. Everyone knows Like so many people know this. It's because there's an anointing on it. It's because David had to go through amazing trials and tribulation 
to get the beauty of that song of worship to come manifest out of his spirit 3,000 years ago and even today people still are like that touches me the song good good father that we all sing is a beautiful wonderful song but 3,000 years ago it's probably not going to be sung but Psalm 23 3,000 years ago oh man are people still going to it the Lord is my shepherd I shall not want I shall not be afraid I shall not be concerned he makes me lie down in green pastures and leads me beside still waters. Places of peace and tranquility. He restores my soul. He leads me in the paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death. Valley of the shadow of death. Valley of the shadow of death is another phrase for what's known as the Kidron Valley. It's a valley that comes right out of Jerusalem and leads right down into the wilderness to En Gedi. Even though I need to leave Jerusalem because people are looking to kill me, and I'm going down the Kidron Valley, known as the Valley of the Shadow of Death, to go to the place of escape, even though I'm going here and I'm afraid, that's what that psalm means. I will fear no evil. Why? Because you're with me. Why? Because your rod and your staff comfort me. The staff is a shepherding. He's going to guide you. But what's the rod? The rod is authority. A rod is what a king uses. I shall fear nothing because you're going to shepherd me and your rod is with me. Your authority is with me. How can I die, God, if you anointed me king? I am not the king yet, so therefore Saul is not going to kill me. The Philistines are not going to kill me because you place an anointing on my life. And I walk with that rod of authority. Goliath can't touch me because you made me a king. How am I supposed to be a king over Israel and unite the tribes if I die at the age of 12, 13, 14, 15? It doesn't make sense. So he articulates the rod of authority. Oh, uh, you prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. He's at such peace. He's like, no evil shall befall, befall me. Another son. No evil can come upon him because he knows that he's the Lord's anointed. I'm not going to die. Because you made me, you put an anointing on me. Jeez. David knows he, he, he was called to be a king, so then he cannot die or be hurt prematurely like this. I and you today, we are not kings. There's something even better. We are not anointed kings. We're something better. I am the, the king. I am the king's beloved son, bride, he's loved. An earthly king is an earthly king. We're talking about the king of all things. I am his. I'm his pharaoh. I'm the one that encouraged him to come down and give up his life. 
My outcome is different than the rest of the world. I have a hope. I have a future. I have an anointing. And I mean I, I mean all of us. Because he purchased me with his blood. He's given me every spiritual blessing in accordance to him in Christ Jesus. I, and this may be a little too much for you, some of you. I'm 36. I'm not dying at 40. Because there's an anointing on my life. Preach the gospel unto the ends of the earth. I am not going to get diseases that, that knock out people because my God says that there's a different future for us. I know it's difficult. Some of us have had family members and things that have happened in our life, and I've had things happen in my life. I get a cold. I had an aunt that died uh, from a bad disease. But I got to live my life in accordance to the book. He's taken all of my sins. He has taken over all of my iniquities. He's healed all of my diseases. I believe. I just got to continue believing in faith. Stress has come to me. The spirit of the world comes, tries to kill, destroy. I say no. Because when I walk through the valley of difficulty, I have a God who's given me authority on earth to cast out demons. He's given me his rod of iron, his authority to lay my hands on the sick and say, be healed. He's given us authority to move into towns and say, this town, Bristol, this has the blood of Jesus on it. Revival, outpourings, salvations, healings will take place in this country. How do we walk with that authority? How do we walk with that revelation? We go back to being a young boy or a young girl, sitting in the difficulties and saying, I don't understand what's going on. I want to take my leer out. I want to take my food out. I want to take my hands out and clap. I want to raise up a, a song that isn't even the right key to you. And I'm going to worship you. It's become a king. Come into a place of the anointing, the complete fulfillment of the calling on your life got to learn how to be a shepherd boy. You got to learn how to be a warrior. You got to learn how to be a worshiper. And the Lord puts you into the place where he's called you. But Father, we're happy where we are. Okay? We haven't been transformed yet glory to glory to see Christ Jesus, but we've been transformed from one stage of glory to the next. And so we thank you where we're at. And we're going to enjoy the process. Because in the process, we get to learn your nature. In the process, we get formed and molded into your image and into your likeness. In the process, we get to learn and have songs be written upon our heart. Oh, Lord. Some of us here need to write a song. 
knows from the Holy Spirit. The title of the song is going to be A Song of Whomever During Financial Difficulty. You write a song, Lord, even though the money's not coming, I declare your goodness. Lord, even though I don't have enough money in my bank account, you are the father that owns a thousand cattle on a thousand hills. Some of you need to write a song. It's feel this by the Spirit. Some of you have a song that needs to be written. The song of whomever in the midst of depression. Oh, Lord, apparently the chemicals in my mind, the doctors are saying, are off, off somehow. But even in the midst of that, here is my song to you. Whew. Oh, release the song. I know this is a little different. I'm telling you, there is an anointing here for songs to be written. New songs to be written in eternity. Songs that you're going to take those crowns at the end and lay them at the feet of Jesus and say, you gave me this song. Here it is again. A song to be released. A song of, 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 a song of whomever in the midst of anxiety. I'm worried. I'm afraid. I don't understand. But yet I will praise you. A song of sickness. Oh, the doctor say something about what's going on. And I'm scared. And I don't know what's happening. But yet your praises shall ever be on my lips. I should declare the goodness of the Lord. Your scriptures say, choose ye this day, life or death. And in the midst of this, I choose life. Your word says that you bore all of my iniquities, all of my diseases. You were bruised for the chastisement of our peace. You took it all. You took it all on, Lord. These are the songs that are to be written in our midst. Father, thank you. That you've anointed us not kings, but you've made us anointed ones of the king. Thank you, Lord, that your scriptures say that Jesus had to go because someone even greater had to come. The Spirit of God, the great comforter. And thank you, Lord, that because the comforter came, because you ascended into heaven, you said, you said, not even a prophet, not even a great character of the Bible, but Jesus, the Son of God, said, you shall do even greater works than I have done. Father, we seal it. We seal it with a prayer. And we seal it with a song. Amen. Have a wonderful week. We have coffee and pastries and stuff downstairs. But if what I was saying to you, the writing of a song is on your heart, in there, I, I encourage you just to stay in the presence. You know what? Take out a piece of paper and just write a little statement. Lord, I struggle with anger. But you're worthy of it all. Let's encourage you this week. Have a wonderful week. See you downstairs. To worship you, I live. To worship you, I live. I live to worship you.
to worship 